Hello and welcome to Warwick's uh, Classics and Discussion podcast. War and Peace, Love and Longing and a Hero's Homecoming. These are epic themes. We have all encountered them somewhere, on the big or small screen, in books or even perhaps ourselves. Epics are great tales of immortal gods and mortal men, of whole civilizations rising and falling. And yet they also teem with the many facets of the human condition, with grief and guilt, bereavement and betrayal, passion and persecution, death and desire. Homer's Iliad and Odyssey mark both the end of oral poetry and the beginning of literature. In the Aeneid, Virgil continues the tale of Troy and recounts the epic events leading to the foundation of Rome. But what are these epics really about? How is the ambient social and political order reflected in these great classics? And how do small people feature in these grand narratives? With me to discuss the origins and development of epic poetry are two of my colleagues at Warwick, Andrew Laird and David Fern. So let's start by asking, who was Homer? Who was this person who gave us the first epic poetry? Well, this is an interesting question. Antiqu yeah, scholars and poets in antiquity uh, thought that they knew that there was a poet called Homer, but modern scholars tend to think that rather than Uh, rather than there being one poet who is responsible, who we can identify as Homer, in inverted commas, we should think of these epic poems, the Iliad and Odyssey, as the result of a long oral tradition over hundreds of years that finally came to fruition in the poems, the Iliad and Odyssey, sometime in the early Archaic period in Greece, 7th or 8th century BC. Okay, so what you're saying is basically we have this myth, mythical Homer, he's a big name, but uh, he might not have existed in historical terms. And then all we have or what we do have are these two texts, the Iliad uh, and the Odyssey. So um, the Iliad, let's start with the Iliad. What is that, uh, that, uh, that poem about? I mean, it's, uh, it's about the wrath of Achilles. It starts and ends with the wrath of Achilles. Is that right? Uh, well, it starts with the wrath of Achilles. Achilles is the greatest of the Greek warriors at Troy. And the Iliad as a whole is, situ is, is uh, situated in the last uh, year of the Trojan War before Troy's destruction. Um, and much of the action of the poem is about fighting, Achilles being the greatest warrior. So you'd expect most of the poem to be about fighting. But in fact, some of the most important parts of the poem are rather about uh, what it means to be a, a warrior, what it means to be fighting. Achilles, the wrath of Achilles is not necessarily aimed at the Trojans, although it is later on in the poem, it's more aimed at his own side because of uh, things that his own side have done to him, made him feel. So, so basically he's angry with Agamemnon. He's, ag he's angry with Agamemnon because so Agamemnon, Agamemnon, has, Agamemnon, who is the leader of the Greek expedition, has hurt his feelings. Has by taking his girl, taking his girl, uh, harmed his own sense of honor, but also made him realize uh, and think about wh why he should fight at all if he's going to have no honor from his own side. Mm. So, although the the epic is about war, it's also about uh, human uh, values and human emotions under duress. Sure. And we see this very much at the end of the poem when, so to speak, uh, 
you know, Achilles is angry first with Agamemnon, he withdraws, uh, and then uh, later on, because his uh, beloved Pat Pat uh, Patroclus is killed, you know, he becomes very angry with Hector, the leader of the Trojans, and he kills him. But then uh, his, uh, his wrath is dissolved uh, towards the end. Is that not so? Yes, well, people might think that the climax of the Iliad would come right at the end with the death of Hector. But the death of Hector is actually only in book 22 of 24. There are two more books to go after Achilles has killed Hector, which is the climactic act of the poem. But so what happens uh, subsequently is a change, a total transformation in Achilles. Uh, from being a heartless killer in the later stages of, of those books culminating the death of Hector, he transforms himself into somebody who is able to have compassion with Hector's father, who comes all the way... Priam. Pri Hector's father Priam, who comes all the way out of Troy to visit the uh, Greek camp at night all by himself to ask Achilles and supplicate Achilles to get him to give his son's dead body back. And Achilles agrees to these to his wishes, and they have an extremely emotional uh, meeting. Mm. So it starts with <coughs> the wrath, uh, and it ends with the wrath being uh, dissolved, uh, and it is called an epic poem. This is the Iliad, an epic poem. Uh, I wonder what does it mean, epic poem? What does what is an epic? It's a genre, I presume. Andrew, can you say something about this? Uh? Well, I suppose uh, the, the one working definition of an epic would be a, a long poem on a very ambitious scale. And uh, you could define uh, an epic as a poem that uh, includes or attempts to include history. Uh, there's usually a bigger sweep involved, not just individuals, but uh, a collective destiny as well. So in this case, uh, it's the Trojan War and... Uh... Uh, the attempt to get uh, uh, Helena back. Very much so. Yeah. It, it, it's the combination yep. of um, uh, big historical type shifts and the, the destiny of individuals. And all classical epics, as I understand it, are in verse. Is that correct? Uh, uh, without fail. Um, yeah, so yes, basically, yes. so that's one of mm. the elements of that <laughs> definition. So, so there's obviously also a Latin famous epic, the Aeneid, uh, written by this man Virgil. And it takes on some of the elements of the Iliad. Maybe you can say something first about Virgil. Who was Virgil? I mean, mm. he's very different from Homer, as you know. Well, we, we know exactly who we have to thank for the Aeneid. Virgil was an individual who uh, wrote it out. It didn't evolve, um, the, the Aeneid, his epic, didn't evolve through performance. But uh, it was very much the, the conception of one man in the way that War and Peace was the conception of Tolstoy. Mm. Uh, and he was an extremely popular poet in his lifetime and in the centuries following his life he rapidly was on every school syllabus so, in Rome. So what is his lifetime? He lived basically he, in the he last lived in days? The, the, the last decades of the first century uh, BC and so died shortly before mm. the so birth basically of Christ. The, on the political, uh, so he's, he's seen the Republic, the last days of the Republic And then, you know, like, what uh, the future Augustus takes over mm -hmm. and uh, becomes emperor. And this is very much in, the, in this political context, uh, he writes uh, mm -hmm. his epic. Is that and, and that political context is very Im important for the epic because mm -hmm. one thing that Virgil accomplished was uh, to produce an epic that had uh, a political and a moral slant. He, he was um, 
it, it's very obvious from the epic that uh, this is a poem which is conceived to uh, justify a new regime which was not popular with everybody and even those who supported it may have felt uncomfortable. Mm. Augustus's side uh, was the side that won and Rome mm. had become uh, an empire. And the, the Aeneid is, a, is really an attempt to win hearts and minds for I this see. change of regime. Mm. So let's come, uh, come back uh, to the olden days of the Greeks uh, and the second epic, uh, the Odyssey, While the Iliad seems to be all about war and the wrath of Achilles, uh, the Odyssey is a very personal epic. It's about one man, uh, Odysseus, uh, so it's very different, is it not? Uh, it, is, it is very different, yes, and it is about one man. Uh, and it is, it is, So it is a personal epic in some senses. The first word of the epic is man. Andromoyenepemusa, come tell me about mm. a man. Mm. Uh, and we, we as readers or audiences of this poem, go on a journey of discovery with this man who we see taking shape before our eyes, uh, a man who becomes Odysseus, a man who is, uh, has to leave Troy at the end of the Trojan War and find his way home to his wife Penelope. Oh. But he gets lost on the way, he has many sufferings on his journey, he has to... Uh, travel with his companions who are on his ship with him, taking taking mm. uh, them home back to their island homes in Greece, uh, and he he we we experience all of this with him. So basically, so, we travel with him on this journey home, the Nostos, the journey home, and uh, we follow this very personal experience. So um, can we then, since it's such a personal story, can we then still call it an epic? We can because Odysseus. Odysseus is, um, although we're journeying with Odysseus, we have to remember at all points that this is a poem about a man, that first word, and that man can be any man. Oh. The, so the, the individual example that the Odyssey chooses is Odysseus and his journeys, but we as readers and audiences of this poem are ourselves oh. made to think about our own journeys through life, oh. through the experiences of the hero and the people he meets. Oh. So it has a certain uh, universality. And at the end, uh, he comes home, he uh, um, kills the suitors, he is recognized by his wife Penelope. And in that sense, there's also this frame which holds the whole poem together. Now, as I understand yep. it, um, um, Andrew, as I understand it, the, the first uh, six book of the uh, Aeneid by Virgil kind of uh, an odyssey, a uh, journey uh, to Rome, let's say, or to Latium. And then the, the second uh, six books, books seven uh, to twelve, are some sort of Iliad. Is this uh, a fair characterization? I think it's very fair in that Virgil did seem to want to um, pull both poems together to produce uh, a monumental epic for Rome. And uh, what more powerful elements could you put together than uh, uniting Uh, poems like the Odyssey and the Iliad. So the, um, the the strange thing is that you get the Odyssey part first. The Odyssey, mm. of course, is a sequel to the Iliad in uh, a Greek epic, but uh, for Virgil, uh, he wants to show the, the struggle and the journey, uh, the search for Italy, which uh, uh, Aeneas, with his um, comrades, um, driven over the seas because they've lost the Trojan War, um, have to make. And then when they arrive in Italy, 
they form some alliances, but they have to fight. And uh, the um, second half of the uh, Aeneid, in a way the gloomier half, um, is what you could call the Iliadic half. Mm-hmm. And that's about how much it costs to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Because they lose many men and it's a very painful... Uh... It's a painful war on both sides, much mm. as the Iliad was. Mm. But apart from these mm-hmm. great, grand events, so to speak, you know, like uh, the sack of Troy and mm. uh, you know, like the, the you know, like foundation of a new civilization, which then becomes later on Imperial Rome, apart from these huge events, uh, we also have uh, small stories uh, or other aspects in, the, um, in these epic poems. Uh, and I'd like to come to one episode in book two, It's about Odysseus, but this time it's not about Odysseus in the Odyssey, but Odysseus in the, in the Iliad. In, in, the, in Book Two of the Iliad, at the beginning, we have this uh, episode of Thersites, uh, the old uh, and grumpy, well, the, not the old, but uh, the common soldier, let's say, who challenges authority. Maybe you can tell us something about this, David. Uh, how yes. does that work? Uh, uh, well, what happens in Book Two is that Agamemnon, the leader of the expedition, has got cold feet and worried that he's, he's been at Troy for so long, he's been almost 10 years now, worried that they're not ever going to be able to sack the city and he's getting, getting uh, cold feet, so he's thinking about going home. And um, he expresses his wish in front of the assembly. Um, and this one man, Thersites, who represents the common soldier, stands up and has a go at Agamemnon and all the Greek leaders for their cowardice, essentially. They're not men who want to stand and fight. They just want to go back to their wives and have fun at home. Mm. Um, this is a really significant episode, a little, however small it is, in the whole of the Iliad, because it gives you... Uh, it's, it's a sign of the way in which Homer in general is interested in as broad a range of views as he can manage in this epic poem. So, uh, this is a, a sign, or a, even a signature, of the, ep- of the scope of this, mm. of, the, of these... Of these uh, narratives. Yeah, and as I understand it, I mean, Thersites is one voice, so to speak, uh, the common soldier. I mean, he is silenced, Odysseus beats, yeah. him, beats him up and then says, Uk agaton heis koiranos esto. It is not good uh, to have the rule of many. One man should be boss. Uh, yeah. But that's not really brought no, out. That's, not, well, that's, that's, that's an interesting quotation because... However much Odysseus might say mm. this and upbraid the common soldier, beat up a common soldier for not towing any line, it's not clear that the Iliad in fact offers any line because mm. part of the point about the wrath of Achilles is that that reveals how there is not one uh, true greatest leader of the Greek side. Uh, Agamemnon may be in charge of the expedition, but Achilles is its greatest Uh, warrior, okay, yeah. and this is this is something that comes out very strongly in Book One in the yeah. confrontation between Achilles yeah. and Agamemnon, which is and not so, resolved. And so, Achilles also he kind of withdraws uh, because his girl, uh, you know, like is taken away from him, and in a way, it's uh, he's in like kind of uh, he's sulking. Is that right? Uh, well, he is, but he has a good reason to be sulking. <laughs> he, uh, but still, I mean, it shows you the multifaceted nature. And as as I understand it, there are many, many, many voices. Many people talk. Yeah. given speeches in uh, in both the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yes, is this is this is also yes, this is something that the Odyssey perhaps even expands spans further than the Iliad. Um, in the Odyssey, you have characters. Obviously, we're in a slightly different context. We're not in uh, a war situation anymore. We have we have um, Odysseus's loyal servants, 
even somebody as, as low down the ranking scale as a swineherd who has a really important part to play in the poem yeah. and yeah. is in fact called uh, godlike godlike or or um godly uh, swineherd yeah yeah fully the, heroic how can a swineherd how can a swineherd be yeah. heroic but yeah. there we go that yeah. that's that's what the odyssey yeah. gives us yeah and as i understand it andrew basically when we enter the world of the aeneid virgil's aeneid mm -hmm. this uh, these many voices uh, these many messages are kind of lost, uh, although we find another Thersites, uh, maybe also an echo of Thersites. Mm. Is that right? Or? Well, generally the difference between Virgil's Aeneid and, and Homer is that there's less exchange of conversation between people of different uh, social levels um, and nobody ever answers back. Mm -hmm. um, and you will only find... Um, uh, women or soldiers of lower rank speaking when their superiors are out of the way. And there's just one exception to this which proves the rule, I think. And this is when Aeneas's son, who's accompanied him on that long, uh, painful journey with the Trojan soldiers uh, to Italy, speaks out of turn and he's immediately silenced. This is very discreetly worked in because what interests most readers of Virgil is that what, uh, what, what Aeneas's son actually says. Ascanius, when um, they're having uh, a, a picnic in the open, exclaims, uh, Hus mensas consumimus, we're eating our tables. Mm -hmm. and, and what, what does that mean what, what he, as a child he's pointing out that the pizza bread that they would normally just throw away after they've eaten whatever is on top yeah. of it this time they're consuming because they're they so hungry. hungry and there's so little food to go around yeah. and he's making a joke out of it also the only joke you get in yeah. the Aeneid. But I think there's um, another significance to that. Can you explain that? Yeah, he or? was fulfilling an omen, a very grim omen that the Trojans had heard uh, from the Harpy Calino uh, before their voyage to Italy, that they would be reduced to such misery as to be compelled to eat their tables. Mm -hmm. and, and of course the Trojans are then the later uh, the Romans. And they will speak. become the Romans. And so Italy is their promised land. Mm -hmm. And when the young Ascanius makes that joke, he's showing that the omen is coming true. Mm. And so it's good news. They've got to the right place. Mm. And for that reason, ostensibly he's silenced because that means he won't say anything else that will mess up mm. the... Uh, the, the solemnity of this omen mm. coming true but it's also interesting that it's the only time we hear him speak mm. in the presence of mm. his father when Aeneas isn't there Ascanius can give orders and take responsibility mm. but uh, the only time he does say something when Aeneas is present he's immediately mm. quiet yeah and as I understand it uh, the this is this has to do with uh, this epic being state propaganda Obviously, um, Augustus, mm. as the you know, like greatest ruler, uh, you know, like as this model, uh, mm. likes uh, this very hierarchical society, and for that reason, we find it. So mm. the society kind of is reflected mm. uh, in the epic. Is that correct? Well, I I think Virgil manages this very discreetly because, of course, if you want to write propaganda, you mustn't let people see that it is propaganda, and. The, the, the way in which the characters are portrayed is realistic, but they are role models. And while Homer might portray the world as he sees it, 
Virgil is showing the world as he wants it to be, mm. where public and private virtue become the same thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I think you once used the, this phrase, uh, in uh, Virgil's Aeneid we have a state-sponsored, a state-sponsored documentary, whereas uh, Homer with all these voices is a bit like daytime television. Is that right? Uh, I think certainly in, in the Aeneid, I, I would say that it's a very realistic and very moving poem, but everything in it is chosen carefully. Mm. Uh, mm. You have the appearance that it's compelling and dramatic and very vivid, but in fact, there's an agenda behind it. Agenda, but the, yeah. the agenda isn't immediately visible, which is what makes it an enjoyable so such poem. An enjoyable poem and also such great propaganda. Mm. So as I understand it, if we come back to the... Uh, Iliad and the Odyssey, the Greek world obviously of the 8th uh-huh. and 7th century BC was very different, much more pluralistic. Absolutely. Is that correct? This is, that's absolutely right. This, that, that, reflects, uh, that is reflected in, 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 the epic, in the epics Iliad and Odyssey, particularly uh, in the Iliad, where the diversity of characters and also the diversity of places all of those characters are from particularly in the Greek camp, all these different kings with mm-hmm. different different amounts of troops and ships and uh, places they're from, represents a sense that uh, people in the archaic, people in Greece in the archaic period and on into the classical period can claim for themselves individually as individual communities, mm-hmm. a diversity of Greek communities, over a thousand city-states in the archaic period can, and classical period can claim can claim these people for themselves. Mm. So there is a sense of which the Iliad and Odyssey are national epics and take, take, uh, take a very prominent role in shaping what we think of as what Greece is in the classical period mm. and the archaic period. But that's something that's very different from, different. from what not appears in by Rome, one, one man, what but appears with... Yeah, so it's, so it's, it's, much, more, it's a much more organic thing mm. which, which reflects and uh, has, has very very direct interfaces with uh, mm. community change and growth in those periods. Mm. Well, thank you very much for this uh, very enlightening talk about uh, epic poetry in bro- both Greek uh, and Latin. Thanks. Well, thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you.